Well, my name is Mark Jansen, and I'm one of the student ministry pastors on staff here at Willingdon, and it's my pleasure to share with you today. We are in the middle of a series called The Lost Art of Wisdom, and we've been looking through the Proverbs to see what kind of wise people that God wants us to be. So far in this series, if you've been following along, we have learned that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord and trust in Him fully. We've looked at how to be a good friend, at finding healing. We've looked at ethics in business, taking and giving advice. And last week, Pastor Brody preached on pride and humility. God's word, and more specifically Proverbs, speaks into all the areas of our life and more. And today, we're going to dive into another area of our lives that Proverbs addresses. And today, we're going to look at how we can be word-wise. We all interact with words every day. Statistics and studies tell us that we speak about 16,000 words a day on average. For years now, it's been widely believed that women speak more words than men, but it's starting to look like that was an urban legend. Current studies are showing that men and women both speak relatively the same amount of words each day, give or take a couple hundred. The fact is, that on an average day, for an average person, a lot of words come out of our mouth. And it's not just the words that we speak that matter, but the words we type and the words that we text as well. Communication has changed over time, and with advances in technology, texting is the most popular use of a smartphone. Reports tell us that people send 94 text messages a day. That's 34,310 a year, and that's an average. So if you don't send any texts, there's somebody else picking up the slack. And it's not just teenagers. Texting is the perfect form of communication for adults 50 and under. Apple says that they handle 200,000 iMessages a second, and that's only on their platform. All I'm trying to say is that we speak and write a lot of words every day. And interestingly enough, the Bible has a few words of its own on the subject. I've chosen a couple of passages from Proverbs, and and Jaylene's going to come now and, and read them for us today. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. The heart of the wise makes his speech judious and, and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Great job, Jaylene. Thank you so much for reading. You did a great job. Proverbs is written as wise statements from a parent to a child. It is God our Father giving us, his children, instruction on how to live wisely. When it comes to being wise and how we use our words, the first point is this. Wise people tell the truth. Now, I would love to stand here today and declare to the world that I have never lied. But as you know, that would be a lie in itself. And the reason you know that is because somewhere in your life, you have lied as well. We've all done it. But where do lies come from? They don't come from God. You don't have to look far. It's actually right in the beginning of the Bible. Pastor Brody referred to it last week when he talked about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And Satan is there 
And Satan is manipulating, twisting, and spinning the words of God and being untruthful. You see, when it comes to lying and deceit, it's his nature. It's his character. The apostle John, in his biography of Jesus, quotes him as he spoke to the Pharisees and other believing Jewish people when Jesus said this in John 8, 44. He said, you are your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In the New International Version, uh, another translation, it says that when the devil lies, he speaks his native language. Now, my, uh, my father grew up in Germany, and the first language he learned as a child was German. Eventually, his family immigrated to Canada, and he learned English and has spoken English ever since. But when my father is startled, when he falls or something scares him or catches him by surprise, without thinking, the first words out of his mouth are in German. Why? Because it's at his core. It's his heart language. It's part of who he is and how he learned to operate as a child. And it's his native tongue. So when the devil speaks, he also speaks from his core, his character. He speaks from his native language. And his native language is sin, lies, and deceit. Wise people who fear the Lord, who put their trust in him, should not operate from that place. It's interesting to me that in Proverbs 12, 17, one of the Hebrew words used to describe a truthful witness is righteousness. Righteousness is grounded in the character of God, and God's righteousness and truth will last forever. As verse 19 says, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. When we speak truth, We are reflecting God's righteousness and character. As his children, we are imitators of God, reflecting the character and truth of God in our actions and in our words. Now, we may not be pathological liars or tell grandiose tales, but what about white lies? Like when someone calls and you don't want to talk to them, and you say, oh, just tell them I'm not home. Or what about when a boss gives you credit for something you didn't do? Do you direct them? to the deserving colleague or stay silent and take the credit for yourself? What about on your taxes? What about lying about your age, whether you're young and want to be older or you're older and want to be younger? Studies using functional MRIs have shown that the brain becomes desensitized to dishonesty over time, making it easier to tell a lie. And when we do so over and over again, it becomes easier and easier. All lies big or small, or a big deal. It's even part of God's top 10. The ninth commandment is, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. We are tempted to lie when we feel threatened. Lying is about self-preservation and self-promotion. I know that when I'm tempted to lie, it's fear-based. Isn't it interesting that both self-preservation and self-promotion start with the words self The first step of being a disciple, a Jesus follower, is not to preserve oneself or promote oneself, but to actually deny yourself, submit yourself to Jesus, embrace him as your savior, rescuer, 
and give him authority in your life. To be a Christian means to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus, giving him authority in your life and authority in how you use your words. You see, the core of our lies come from the fact that we don't trust God. We don't trust God that he will take care if people really knew the truth and really know who we were. We don't trust that he will keep our integrity and character intact if we tell the truth or own up to something that we've done. We don't trust that God will provide for us. So instead, we lie to get ahead and manipulate the system to get a reward or to get out of trouble. Proverbs says that's not what wise people do. We are called to live lives of honesty and integrity, reflecting God's righteousness in all that we do and say. Wise people fear the Lord. They fully trust in God and they live and reflect God's righteousness by telling the truth. When it comes to being, a, being wise in, in how we use our words, our second point today is this. Wise people understand that words have power. You know, in, in my life, I have broken a lot of bones. Um, a couple toes, a couple fingers, my foot in three places, my arm while I was biking, my left shoulder while mountain biking, and I've had reconstructive surgery on my knee after I blew it out playing football. Those injuries were all painful. But you know what? They've healed. The pain is gone, and I rarely think about them anymore. But some of the most painful wounds in my life, the wounds that still hurt when I think about them, the wounds that still sting were caused by words, hurtful words that have been spoken or written to me over time. Proverbs twelve eighteen says this, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, words are powerful and rarely neutral. Our words contain messages that have the potential to either hurt or heal. Messages that can stay with us for a lifetime. Messages that we can replay in our minds like tracks on an iPod or iPhone that play again and again and again. Messages that over time can change the way we think or feel about ourselves and even change the way that we live. In the New Testament, the letter of James, written by James, a half-brother of Jesus, he was also a leader in the church in Jerusalem, he writes about words and their power in a section called Taming the Tongue. And in James chapter 3, he recognized that even though the tongue is a small part of our body, it punches way above its weight class and power. He compares the tongue to a small bit in the mouth of a horse and a, a rudder on a ship. Both are small parts in and of themselves, but a a bit in the mouth of a horse can control and stop a galloping horse, or a rudder can change the course and the direction of the largest ships. Both are small parts, but they have extreme power, just like our tongues. James also compares the words we use to a small spark that can start a blazing forest fire, and that's an image all too familiar for us in BC, along with the images of devastation and loss. Let's look at James 3, 5 to 8, and it says this. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is of fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course 
of life and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. James highlights the destructive power of our tongue and goes on to point out our own hypocrisy when he reminds us that we praise God with this mouth and in the same mouth we go and curse other people. Our words can be weapons, but not like the punches in a a boxing match like I watched during the Olympics where you're toe-to-toe with your opponent and you can duck and weave and see the blows coming and block or counterpunch. You know what? Our words, they're more like this arrow shot from a bow and sent from a distance that will strike without warning. Proverbs calls our rash words thrusts from a sword when used without thought or with the wrong intentions. Our words are weapons that can cut very deeply and too often the ones we hurt are the ones most closest to us. The tongue has no bones but is strong enough to break a heart. So be careful with your words. Words can also be healing, repairing, or restoring. A kind word can make someone's day. I'm even aware of a kind word from a stranger saving the life of a person who is contemplating suicide. Our words have the power to destroy, but they also have even greater power to heal. The right words are like a rudder of a ship, can change a person's direction in life, can change a person's perspective, can reorientate a person's decision the right words can de-escalate a contentious situation. The tongue of the wise should bring healing and help, not hurt. A couple of years ago, I went to a Christian therapist, and it was a wonderful experience for me. All we did in our sessions was talk. It was through words that we were able to discover, discover some deep wounds, and through words that he was able to help me heal some of those wounds. It was through words where he encouraged me. Encourage literally means build courage in someone. When I was discouraged and didn't feel courageous at all, he built courage in me with his words, words of scripture and words of prayer. And I am truly thankful for that experience and for all the healing words that were spoken to me at that time. Now, you don't have to be a trained therapist to build courage in someone. Kind words go a long way. It can be words written in a note or or a text. The kind words of a compliment or positive conversation. Look for places and opportunities where you can use your words to heal. Mother Teresa, a nun who is renowned for her work with the poor in Calcutta and also received this small award, you might have heard about it, but the Nobel Peace Prize, well, she said this, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. As followers of Jesus, we have the words of life, words that not only heal hearts, but words that can lead to the restoration of a person's soul by pointing them to Jesus. We have the antidote for the brokenness and sin in the world around us, and it's found in Jesus alone. In Romans 10, 14, in the New Living Translation, it says this, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? 
As believers, we should be bearers of good news, building courage in people, telling people around us about Jesus. Our words should bring healing and help to our families, our friends, our co-workers, our congregation, and our world. Not only do wise people tell the truth and understand that words are powerful, but wise people know how to speak, love, and listen. Proverbs 16, 23, and 24 says this, The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Verse 23 in the New International Version says, The hearts of the wise make their mouth prudent and their lips promote instruction. Prudent means showing care and thought in our words, and promoting instruction would mean having purpose, meaning, and intention in what we say. In other words, think before you speak. You've probably heard that before. Well, one big problem with our words is that they're like toothpaste and pillows. Have you ever taken out your toothpaste and just squeezed out way too much for your toothbrush? And then try and get it back in. You know what? You can't. You can't get it back in the tube once it's gone. Or take, for instance, a pillow. You know, a down pillow full of, full of feathers. And you take them and you open up this pillow in a meadow somewhere with a little bit of a breeze and shake out all the feathers. Then go back the next day and try and collect all the feathers. It's impossible. Once our words leave, we can never get them back. B.B. King is my favorite blues guitarist, and he was known not for his blazing guitar solos, but for his economical style filled with nuance and feeling. In reference to playing guitar solos, he's quoted as saying, play notes like they're expensive, meaning don't just toss them out there a mile a minute without a lot of thought. Play them like they're worth something. Hold back a little and play what's needed. Play a note with confidence and let it ring. When it comes to speaking, we have to use words like they're expensive as well and know when to speak and when not to speak. In James chapter 1, he says, Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. You have heard that old saying that God gave us two ears and one mouth so we should listen twice as much as we speak. And, and well, that's true. The only problem is that it's, it's hard for me to do that because I like to talk. I believe that everyone should stand down, press pause, and take a moment to think before they speak, especially in a tense or frustrating situation. Sometimes the best conversations are one-sided, Because one party is just listening. When you listen properly, you validate the other person and they feel heard. That alone can really mean something. Use words sparingly, like they're expensive. Taking time to plot, plan, and purpose your words so that they have their intended impact. We have to be so careful with our words. Once they're said, they can be forgiven but they take time to be forgotten. I guess the real issue that I'm talking about is the point here of the issue of tact. 
Not just what to say, but how to say it. Sometimes we have difficult things that we need to address or even confront in someone else. How can we do it in such a way as to minimize the hurt and multiply the help and the care? In Ephesians 4.15, Paul tells us to speak the truth in love. We want to be truth tellers, but we know that the truth hurts sometimes. Truthful words combined with love and care will soften the hurt and lead to healing. In Proverbs 16.24, it says, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm much more willing to listen to a wounding friend, as Pastor Ray spoke about a few weeks ago, who cares for me, uses gracious words, and speaks the truth in love. Truth alone can be too aggressive and painful, but when mixed with love and grace and compassion, it makes the truth much more palatable and profitable, like a honeycomb, sweet to the soul. Well, we've been talking today about how we communicate with each other and how powerful our words can be. But God also communicates with us. He communicated with us in truth. He communicated with us in power and he communicated with us in love when he sent his son Jesus to be the ransom for our sin, our redeemer, our rescuer. God communicated all these things in Jesus. In John chapter 1, 1 to 5, Jesus even called the word. And it says this, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. It is only through Jesus, the greatest communication of truth, power, and love, the word from God, literally, that we can be saved and overcome our sin. And it's only through his spirit in our lives that we can tame our tongues. When I was a teenager, I had had a problem. Instead of reflecting God in my words and actions, I began to reflect my teammates and friends. Needless to say, I started swearing using what I call beep words. You know, the words that get beeped on the TV. And I started using those words in the football field and with the guys. But it wasn't too long before those words crept into every area of my life. And that's how sin works. It's pervasive, it's progressive, and it's suffocating. I knew I had a problem, and I tried to deal with it on my own, but I couldn't. So I started praying to God and asking for help. And I also asked some friends to pray for me and help to keep me accountable. And it took some time, but I remember the day that I got victory over my foul mouth. I was driving and I got into an accident where I ended up in in someone else's lawn in their rock garden. And I knew I had victory that day because in all the adrenaline and all the shock and all the surprise, my character came out. My native language came out. Instead of beep words, which is what I would have might have expected when I was startled like that, the first thing out of my mouth was this. It was a prayer. I prayed. I thanked God that I was okay, and I prayed for the people in the other car that they would be okay. And that was my first instinct. That was my first reaction. Then I checked on the other people, and, and then I called my parents to tell them the news, and I should have prayed for them because it was their car that was totaled, not mine. But that was a victorious day for me in my faith 
and growth as a follower of Jesus, a statement of victory over sin through the Holy Spirit and with the help of a few fellow brothers. Where do you need victory? Where do you struggle with your words? Was it swearing like me? Is it lying for your self-preservation? Do you not fight fair and use your words as weapons to cut deep and hurt? Do you cyber bully or cut down others through social media or on social media? Do you mutter cutting remarks directed at others under your breath, but loud enough to be heard? In frustration, do you call people names or give attitude? Maybe all of them. All of us need to repent and take ownership of our words. We need to learn how to say the six hardest words in the English language. I am sorry. Please forgive me. They are also some of the most healing words. Do you need to say those words to anyone in your life and start that path of forgiveness and reconciliation because of words that maybe have been spoken in frustration or anger? Are there words in your life that you need, that need to be spoken, but you haven't spoken that you're holding back because of fear. Where you need to speak the truth in love for the purpose of correcting, directing, helping, or healing. Or maybe there's someone in your life who needs to hear the good news about Jesus, but you've been stalling, afraid of what they might think or how they'll respond. No matter where you're at, God offers grace and forgiveness. He wants us to succeed and have victory over sin. He wants us to use our words wisely. So draw close to him, ask for his help, seek the help of other believers. In Jesus, we can have victory over our words and be word wise. In all cases, we need to fear the Lord and fully trust in him to be wise. And remember, wise people speak the truth. Wise people understand that words have power. And wise people know how to speak love and listen. I want to thank you for listening to my close to 4,000 words today, give or take a few. And in a moment, there'll be some questions on the screen to help you reflect and spend some time thinking and praying about your words and how you use them.